Welcome to the Thinkers and Doers podcast, where we hear from the leading thinkers and doers shaping the world around us. My name is Luke Graham. I am your host. And today we have the privilege of hearing from global top 30 communications and body language expert, Dr. Louise Mahler. Louise is an adjunct professor, she's a coach, she's an author, and she's a speaker on the topics of both verbal and nonverbal communication. She's amassed quite an impressive list of clients, including Fortune 500 companies, and she is regularly featured on television, print, and online media where she shares her expertise. Now, Louise's work got me quite interested in not only the world of verbal and nonverbal communication in person, things like body language, but also how this plays out in the virtual environment. So how people pick up cues from one another on the phone, via text, email, uh, video conferencing, or more recently, the likes of virtual reality. So Louise shares her thoughts on this as well as her core area in communication in person. I hope you enjoy. Shoulders back and arms uncrossed today. I'm speaking with Dr. Louise Mahler, a academic and expert consultant in verbal and nonverbal communication. So Louise, my understanding is that you came into this world in a little bit of an alternative way, um, traveling across the globe, observing the way that people were communicating with one another when they were speaking publicly versus the way they were doing so privately. Tell me a little bit about that journey for you and why it was that you were the person um, that was able to to make a difference? Well, I think that really it wouldn't have mattered what my history was. All roads would have led to Rome because this is just such a passion for me. I think I would have got here anyway. But there is an obvious uh, part of ingredient in my history, which was that I worked in opera for over a decade. I did a degree in music, postgraduate in music, letters in music, um, and uh and I worked in particular in Vienna with somebody who was absolutely obsessed with the body-voice connection. And so this became my passion. And then when I actually left opera and came into business, and, you know, in opera we would spend our life looking at the way we would do sound, whether we'd initiate sound from above or slide up from below or how much escaping air there'd be or how much twang you'd have in the sound, all of these things, then came into business and suddenly people would stand up and say, hello, and I'm just thinking, sorry, sorry, what was your strategy? Uh, uh, sorry, I mean, I've been for thinking down there for dance, and it just didn't make sense to me. And I just, I just became a fire in the belly about what on earth is going on here. What are people thinking? What are they doing? Because they don't realise the importance of this. So, have there been any examples um, in your career, of, especially in your earlier career, when when you were being driven down this direction of um, of working with non verbal and verbal communication? Um, where some major faux pas or, uh, or, or you know, outstanding examples of, um, of errors in communication that led to the wrong assumptions being made between two people? Luke, there are thousands and thousands, but one of my favourite stories was somebody who 
was the founder of a huge international company and was asked to speak at a conference that I was also speaking at. And I know the fee that this person was paid. They were paid $100,000, which in Australia is a lot of money. And what happened was they came out on the stage and I could see immediately that they had performance anxiety. Their eyes were stuck. The, the voice wouldn't work. <laughs> the voice wouldn't work. They were frozen to the spot. And it was just dreadful. And a thousand, hundred thousand dollars for a 60 minute presentation. You work out how much that is per minute. And, and they just got no information out. It was, uh, it was really, really embarrassing and, uh, and dreadful and sad. So how about on the on the opposite side of that spectrum, right? So so there are mm. lots of examples of of the things to do, the things not to do. You know, I've heard you speak about, you know, speaking from the lower part of the body instead of the upper part of the body. I'm I'm mm -hmm. probably quite lucky in that way. There are maybe some biological elements for me. I've been told I have a, a voice <laughs> and a face for radio, so I've got you know oh. one side of that is good, and may, maybe the other <laughs> not so much. But um, <laughs> but one thing I'm intrigued by is. Um, is there a level then for key tips and tricks around the best way to communicate with people in the most appropriate contexts and all these sorts of things um, where people can go too far with it? So, you know, if, if I think about myself, I've been told one thing I do a lot, actually, I'm doing it right now, is I'm, I'm, I'm handsy with my speaking, right? I, mm -hmm. I you know, I'm, my, my hands are around mm -hmm. a lot. Um, I'm dynamic. I move around a lot. I'm I'm grabbing, you know, um, air and and all these sorts of things. Is are there points where you've seen people um, who get help um, with their communication style end up going too far in the opposite direction? Oh, look, uh, the thing is, there's so much black and white around and there always is isn't it, in an area of thought where we don't do much education. And people tend to think either you do nothing and you sit still and you speak and you do not use your hands and you do not move. Or people go, oh, I go crazy with my hands. Oh, I love to move crazy, crazy. Well, what about the grey area in the middle where you actually do move? You do need to move. You do need to use your hands. But then there are rules around that. So hands need to be um, congruent with what you are saying. Hands gestures need to be held and not snapped back into the centre of the body. Uh, gestures need to be non-repetitive. And uh, movement, again, needs to be anchored to certain places, have meaning, understand the spatial psychology of a space and and work that spatial psychology and even create your own spatial psychology and then use it. So it's not just a mess. Um, so there's this grey area. It's not don't do it, do do it. It's do do it properly. And when do people go over the top? You know, we are so worried about people going over the top. We have such a, a voice in our mind. Oh, don't do it. You go over the top. You know, I had someone the other day who I said, swing your arms. And she swung her arms and walked and then said, I couldn't do that. That looks really stupid. And I'm like, really? Can Sorry, can you see that? No, you are the person walking doing that. You can't see it. Don't tell me whether it looks stupid or not because you can't see it. But that unconscious mind comes straight in and goes, no, that would look stupid. No, oh, oh, that would sound stupid. We need to worry less. There's some fabulous work about how little people observe um, and how far you can go without anybody noticing any difference. 
Um, and I just would say, don't worry about that line of buffoonery, as the ancient Romans used to call it. You know, push it right to the edge. Okay. Well, that, that, I guess that works out for my snob. But uh, <laughs> um, how about this, this concept that, that I've heard you speaking about before um, uh, that I, I believe is a framework that you picked up in, in your work and your research um, called creative listening and, and this idea of, of the sort of connection that you have with, with the people that you're speaking with, whether it's an audience yeah. or Look, one-on-one. Isn't it? That particular term, creative listening, came from a writer called John Paul Moses who wrote a book called The Voice of Neurosis. Now, I found that book when I was about 18 years old, when I first went to the conservatorium. And maybe 30 years later, I went back to the conservatorium and got that book out of the library and discovered that my name was the only one in it. (laughs) No one had ever looked at the book ever since. Um, That's how fascinating people are not very um and and the jumble moses uses this term creative listening and what it says is that you actually embody this the person you're speaking to so you i i find when i was doing my phd and i was really analyzing this i realized that when i'm doing it i go slightly out of focus with my eyes and you just start to somehow vibrate your body, imitate your throat shape, open your mouth, do your hands, whatever it is, in the way that that other person would do. And that way I can say, oh, 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 your tongue's too far down your throat, or oh, 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 your breathing's too high. And yes, I can see it in other ways as well, but I can also feel it in that imitation. And John Paul Moses called that creative listening. And I don't think we do enough of it. Yeah, right. And so how does that like, if we think about even the interaction you're, you and I are having right now, right? Um, mm-hmm. we're, we're speaking from across the globe. It's, it's evening your time, morning mine, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. Um, where, you know, um, having this almost two-dimensional conversation, which I'm very much enjoying, but, um, yeah. but in an ideal scenario, perhaps we'd be, we'd be catching up. We'd be, we'd be face-to-face, right? Yes. Um, I'd be picking up on a lot of um, additional say nonverbal cues from you um you know we'd be in the same space all these sorts of things obviously one thing we've heard a lot of and no doubt you've had many conversations around over the past three years is this um the two years that we all spent locked down especially you over there in oz um oh actually we spent quite a bit of time here in in london as well locked down but uh so 2020 2021 you know, lots of conversations around online interactions, these sorts of things. But one thing that we've certainly seen um, remain is this recalibration to a higher rate of hybrid work, um, remote work. Um, In these scenarios, one thing that emerges a lot um, is CEOs raising the flag of, we need our workers to be um, around face-to-face um, because they're especially junior workers missing out on the opportunity to learn from this um, seniors, all these sorts mm-hmm. of things. Um, these conversations around um, mentorship that remote works and aberration, all this sort of stuff um, is in your mind and, and, and in your work, is there any merit to the argument that in-person interactions um, are more beneficial for, I guess, absorbing the information or in the work context growth um, than, than an interaction like what you and I are having or if we were emailing each other. Or... Luke, 
Look, you're going to make me start crying. I feel so <laughs> desperate about this topic because okay. we have lost the major part of communication, which is touch. Touch is so underrated and so important. And guess what? I'm not talking about fondling each other, but <laughs> I'm talking about shaking hands. And there are places where you can touch people, so the hands are one of them, great. Um, but our sound touches the people around us. We forget that sound is a physical force. They've proven this with drums where they make a sound and you put little beads on the drums and the drum vibrates and the beads form a certain shape. And when we speak to people, we vibrate their body and it does not work the same over in a virtual environment. Now, I'm not stupid. You know, I heard a, a story yesterday of a, a man who was telling me, I had to hop on a plane once and go to London from Australia for a meeting that lasted one hour and then fly all the way back to Australia. Well, you know, how fantastic that maybe we don't have to do that so much anymore, but we cannot get full communication in a virtual world. There is no touch and that's right. what's critical. Yeah, that's really interesting because when I was thinking about the questions I wanted to ask you, that's um that's something I yeah, I um th that hadn't really occurred to me, but like how about how about other types of stimuli? Like I yeah. I, I remember hearing this hilarious story um from um from a friend that um that he was doing some business with I think a a, a person in Germany who said we need to see each other so I can smell you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Yep, yep. Well, whether we like people, um, definitely smell has a lot to do with it. And there's right. different research to show that women like men who have a different um, uh, formula for beating off disease than our own, and apparently we can smell that or testosterone or whatever it is. But smell is often not in our conscious, but is very important. So smell mm. is a big one. So what I find with uh, uh, consultants that I work with is the young consultants would normally walk in to see clients together with the older consultants and they would learn unconsciously perhaps but how to breathe how to walk how fast to enter um, who to greet first where to sit all of those things are very much lost and the young people who are coming up in consulting are losing their confidence that's the thing I'm hearing over and over people are saying I've lost my confidence um, we just don't know what we're doing and with and and mentoring is what a lot of leaders are saying is missing um, and it's mentoring in the body the physical body the breath the initial vocal tone the touch these are important things we're not getting them this is a really interesting point because um, like I've, I've got a lot of friends who had children during COVID, right? And there's this yeah. big conversation around COVID kids and, wow. um, and the fact that like, you know, I, I remember a friend of mine saying, um, I think it, his child was something like 18 months old before they met somebody, a human other than their elder sibling and uh, their two parents. And, uh, yeah. and there's a lot of conversation around this, mm. but, and of course mm. there's, there's a lot of conversation as well around, around the impacts in the workplace, but, but those, mm. those nonverbal sort of, um, almost mm. subconscious lessons, mm. um, is something I, I personally haven't heard very much. Oh, we're yet, we're yet to see the disaster, the unfolding disaster. But uh, recently I've done work with 
some schools and principals at schools and they're telling me it is catastrophic and that the children have lost their ability to talk to each other, to communicate, um, they're behaving in odd ways. Um, in fact, it's so bad that they're putting forward that were we to ever have another pandemic that under no circumstances are they to stop children from going to school. Um, right, okay. The impact has been dramatic, and I think that research is yet to come out, but I'm hearing it from schools and leaders in schools. Right. So how does that play out then? Because there's a there's a big debate in the real estate sector, a very, very fierce debate. Um, some people get quite emotional oh, right. around this, around right. um, around the the um the role relevance and value of remote work obviously you made the point earlier that you know there's definitely a lot of benefits with remote interactions and things like that you know i mean you and i can Mm -hmm. have this conversation rather than me flying back to oz to have it um Mm -hmm. uh, but obviously you know we've very much emphasized as well the um the value of these face-to-face interactions you know Mm non-verbal communication things like that um where do we then sit with companies that are largely or entirely working remotely. So they speak of the benefits of, you know, um, having an international workforce, you know, a company that never sleeps, you know, there's always somebody awake doing some work across the business, all those sorts of things. What sort of, what would they, um, what sort of advice would you give to a leader of an organization like that uh, in making sure, I don't know, elements of culture or um, speaking to the junior employees um, with things like mirroring and and learning um, from their um, uh, from their mentors, how what, what sort of advice would you give to business leaders that are managing remote teams and international teams that don't have that opportunity for the touch, for the for the interaction? Well, I, I think it's important, and the companies I do know who work internationally mm-hmm. come together. Um, they right. come together. They have um, events where they come together, strategic planning where they come together, and making the effort for those events so that they do meet up um, and at least get to know who they're talking to, who they're mm-hmm. speaking with. Um, yeah. That That's important. And to have more regular communication. So one of the things you find with remote assistance is the key thing that I do is we speak every day and we have different ways of speaking so we have whatsapp but we have zoom we have you know and we we have the the emails and you know there'd be 30 communications a day bang 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 so then um oh sorry (laughs) a lot of communication a lot of try to meet up okay so um so then um how then does this play out because i'm sure almost certain if there is um is there if there's a software engineer or somebody attracted to some kind of say profession that has a high prevalence of um of say people more inclined towards introversion as an example yeah. instead of extroversion so um i'm making the assumption based on following your work for quite a few years over half a decade um <laughs> and being off the spectrum as an extrovert myself, um, I'm assuming that you're an extrovert, um, although I could be wrong. How would this then play out for the introverts listening to this conversation between two extroverts um, saying, we need to be around people, we need to you know, have interpersonal contact, all these sorts mm. of things. Um, are, are they the skeptics here? Um, you've surely worked with quite a few introverts. Luke, Luke, Luke. Luke. You are, you, well, you're absolutely right. I'm off the spectrum in, in extroversion <laughs> as well. <laughs> and um, But I've done a little bit of research into this. And certainly when it comes to communication, maybe you wouldn't know it because 
introverts make better presenters than extroverts. Um, introverts tend me. to, yeah, true. The, that's the research. They tend to plan better um, than extroverts. So um, uh, there is also research that I read recently that says that introverts are able to cope with interpersonal communication and actually go home without being psychologically damaged. They can do it. They may not want to do it, but they can do it. And of course, in my communication work, um, I often get, I, oh Louise, I don't feel comfortable like that. I'm an introvert and I go, really, I don't care. I'll just do it because that's good communication. And once introverts are, con are convinced that it is good communication, they will do it, they can do it, and they're not damaged by it. Mm. extroverts on the other hand are psychologically traumatized by lack of connection yeah 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 and i, I even so, feel that for myself you know yeah. i i have to like race um into the office or into a mm. big social space at least several times a week yes. to yeah, yeah. Get my feel. Sorry, go ahead. That's it. You're no, that's something. right that's exactly right and and uh the pandemic uh, was a form of torture for mm. me form of mm. torture. And of course, I think that we've got the model of communication wrong. And it was in 1960 only did they get the model of communication that said we have a sender and we have a receiver and then we have a medium of communication. Really? And we've all taken that on board. And what that's led us to is the fact that in a virtual communication, maybe I am the sender, you are the receiver, therefore I have all the responsibility, you have none. You can even turn your computer off. What? That's not communication. And it never was before 1960. If you go back to ancient cultures, if you go back to ancient Rome, the emperors spoke and the audience spoke back with acclamations. The emperor would never continue with a speech without actually checking where the audience was at all the time. The audience have as much responsibility as the speaker. It is two-way. And I like to remodel the model of communication, which is when I speak to you, let's go back to the ancient deriv derivations of the word, air comes out of my body and actually you breathe it in, which doesn't sound very COVID safe, but that's the reality. You breathe it in. Um, and uh, the word sperare was the verb to breathe. So I inspire you. I breathe air into your body. That is what inspiration is. So if I'm hitting a screen, you're getting a small vibration out of a screen. How can I inspire you? And how can you give me your psyche back when the verb psyche comes from the verb to blow, to breathe? You need to breathe back to me. So we need a new model of communication that says I breathe out, you breathe out. Our air mixes together and we are one immediately we both have responsibility to mix this air together it's not one-sided sender receiver is wrong model that's actually a really helpful segue that's quite interesting um on 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 this point that you make around this new model of communication because i'm going to steal that point um as a segue to uh, a question i wanted to ask you around um, about 18 months or so ago now um, facebook changed their name um, to meta Right, and right. that created this um, massive boom in uh, in interest in what is the metaverse, right? And and again, another big debate around what the metaverse actually is. 
Um, so we won't worry too much about that. Um, but one of the key points here was that Zuckerberg et al. Um, said that their expectation is a, a big part of the future of humor inter interac human interaction is this um, three-dimensional version of what you and mm -hmm. I are doing right now. Um, and, mm -hmm. you know, we, something that we learned from, um, from email, something that we learned from Twitter, something that we've learned from Facebook um, is this um, challenge around misinterpretation of communication. Um, I've spent a bit of time in different metaverse platforms interacting with people three-dimensionally mm -hmm. and know that, um, that say, um, uh, social, um, what's, what's the word I'm looking for here? Um, social, say, norms are kind of violated and, and there's some pretty serious examples of that. Um, how, does, how would this look if we were trying to have a more three-dimensional version of what we're doing, but are still kind of failing to have that the way you were just putting it, this kind mm, of mm. Um, It does still way. fail, Luke. It still yeah. fails. And I think there is a, you know, there's a PhD, many PhDs written on our obsession with the, ver with the visual. And great, we're going to make the visual as whole as possible and as three-dimensional. Guess what, Luke? There's still no vibration. There's still no touch. There's no mm. whoosh of air. There's no vibration of my skin. I can now see you three-dimensional, but I'm not getting that pounding sensation i'm not getting that smell i'm not getting that touch that i need um mm. there's there's a big gap we think it's a little gap i can see everything's a little gap no it's a great big chasm in our right. communication and how do we recreate that whoosh of connection where we bind together which we're not going to get from a visual representation so not what about them? I'm not saying it's not brilliant. Steiner yeah. would say and did say actually, one yeah. um, one sun has eclipsed another. Right. So he's not saying right. it's not a sun, but it has eclipsed another sun, right. and that sun right. of real connection. So how about then when it comes to this point around empathy between people and the antisocial side of it, right? So if we're failing to have these continuous sort of real life um, interactions that you're referring to. Um, is there an antisocial element to it that we're just not going to be able to overcome unless we end up in some, I'm not sure if you've seen the matrix um, from, I think it was the nineties or the early two thousands or something like that. They, they get plugged essentially into a computer and it's a simulation that, that simulates everything that we're talking about. Right. So it's not just, um, it's not just a side. It's not just, you know, um, whatever you're able to emulate. It's, it's a full immersion, right? Science, right. science fiction. Right. So okay. obviously parking the fact that we're unable to do that. Right. Um, with technology. Um, is there always going to be a pervasive inability to create empathy between people in a way that would mitigate antisocial behavior and things like um, the challenge of psychological distance, the challenge of being able to fully empathize with the person and, and treat them in a, in a humanistic way? I don't know, Luke, but I, I would I would guess at yes. I have a, I'm here in Australia, you're in London, my son's in London and mm. And most people I know who have children overseas, you don't let it go for 10 years. You know, you travel over, you meet, and there comes a point where you lose that connection if you don't. You, we can talk on the phone till the cows come home, 
but we have to get together. Um, I don't know anyone who just lets that go for decades and goes, yeah, great, that's enough. You know, it's not. It's not. It is not. Um, You know, why? I think that it's left unresearched, this whole ungraspable, unfathomable, because we're so obsessed with the visual and it's not about the visual. Let's call it factor X. I think it's a KPI of success that people will get out and touch, feel, smell um, the people around them. And that's not to say I'm saying no virtual, there's a place, but come on, let's get that extra, um, make that extra effort. Yeah, right. Okay. So if I then say to you, like, as a, as a kind of almost, or ask you, I should say, as almost like a, um, a summative kind of piece of advice you would give to the average, say, early career or entrepreneurial type of person who's having to have a lot of, um, they're in a lot of situations where they're speaking to a large number of people or a small number of people from different cultures around the world, and all these sorts of things. What what are what are probably the say the five key points that they need to um, be mindful of um, when they're communicating with people physically uh, in the way that you and I are now? Uh, what's what's the, what are the cliff notes of the Louise Mahler um, okay. philosophy? Well, first of all, know that it um, it's habitual, not natural. Everything you do is habitual, not natural. Secondly, know, therefore, that you can change those skills. It was funny today I was talking to a woman and, uh, and she was doing upwards inflection at the end of every sentence. That meant she went up every time, which turned it into a question and then says to me, nobody takes me seriously. I have ideas and people take them on for themselves and they interrupt me. They interrupt me and they don't take me seriously, you know. So uh, there's the obvious giveaway. And when I said to her, you're doing upwards inflection, she said, I can't hear it. I'll never be able to change this, never, never. And by the end of a very short conversation, she said something, and she said, oh, I just did upwards inflection. And I'm like, yeah, well, that was five minutes. You know, you just told me you would never be able to hear it. Five minutes. But we are so determined that this is who I am. And it's not who you are. It's a set of habitual patterns. So first of all, this happens. Second of all, you can change it. Now what are you going to look at? Well, eye contact is really important. And certainly in real estate, eye contact is you know, window to the soul. Your breath could not be more important. Keep your breath in your lower body, you know, unless you're using it for excitement, bring it high, but otherwise it just looks like stress. So keep mm. the um, stress out of the other upper body. And um, so your your breath, breath will guide your voice. Um, and uh, I could go on endlessly, your eyes Use your hands, use them, learn how to use them, get out and learn the rules. Um, Follow me because I'm sharing lots of rules on what to do with your hands, which is very unresearched. Okay. A lot of this work, you know, was foundational in communication for thousands of years. And then, for instance, gestures dropped out overnight in 1890 when the megaphone came in. So people would use a megaphone and gestures became irrelevant. They didn't become irrelevant, but the study of them did. And it's time to bring these skills back. Wow. I love a historical reference. I had no idea about that. 
Yeah. There you go. Yeah. So, so on the basis of that, uh, obviously you've only had a, a half hour sample, but um, are there any faux pas that I've been making? Oh, okay, great. Um, people <laughs> always ask me that. Um, I think sometimes, sometimes you go back on your throat. You go back right. on your throat and put your voice back on your throat. Yeah, I was, ah. I was, I was feeling you before going. Is that dangerous or is that not dangerous? No, I think it's okay. You don't do it all the time. Yeah, no, I was ah. working on while you were talking. Yeah, there you go. Yeah, and there see you now you're not do it. Ah, and now you're not. Doing it. <laughs> I'm a quick learner, Louise. I'm a quick learner. Oh, good. Good, good. <laughs> well, look, this has been really, really interesting uh, for me. Um, I, I hope the same for everybody else. Um, obviously, you've you've authored a book. Um, you work mm-hmm. in academia. New book coming up. Mm-hmm. Yes, a new one coming out. So tell me about that. Gravitas. Well, yes. I, I, I will tell you. Um, I'm talking about the research about gestures because gestures were critical in ancient Rome. Um, mm-hmm. The thing with nonverbal in ancient Rome is that a lot of it was learnt by imitation, um, by lessons and wasn't written down, and that that was written down is lost. So we have very little information from ancient Rome and we look at what we call rhetoric and, and see that as just the written word or, you know, how we structure information. But actually, Demosthenes would say of gravitas, the, the five pillars of gravitas, um, the first most important one is delivery, the second most important one is delivery, and the third most important one is delivery. Um, and right. so and ancient Romans would say 80% of your communication is delivery. Um and they they did document quite a lot enough for us to capture. So everything that I've learned over these years, when I go back, I go, oh my goodness, you know, there's nothing new on the planet. It was all there in ancient Rome originally. So I'm grabbing those elements out of ancient Rome, gravitas, and applying them to our modern world. I love it. I'll be an early buyer again. As I said, I love historical Yay. references. I love communication. <laughs> so I'll be there. I expect a science copy, actually. Great. Look, you'll get it. <laughs> all right well uh thank you very much louise this was uh this was a a great chat i really enjoyed it thank you luke